0: Welcome to Off the Cuff with Congressman Jared Huffman. As a representative for California's 2nd Congressional District, Off the Cuff is my opportunity to talk with you about important issues and to introduce you to interesting people from the 2nd District and beyond. It's unfiltered, it's direct, and it's honest. It's Off the Cuff with me, Congressman Jared Huffman. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight we're going to do a very different podcast. It'll be more unscripted, unplanned, maybe unprofessional. We'll see. But uh, you've perhaps heard of Alpha House, which is the uh, fictional series about three members of Congress living together. Tonight is my own version of that. I'm bringing you a spontaneous conversation with three real members of Congress who live together when they're in D.C. Myself, Beto O'Rourke of El Paso, Texas, and Salute Carbajal of Santa Barbara, California. They're my roommates, and we're recording from the living room of our home away from home here, and we're sitting around having a glass of good second district wine from California because we always have to do that, although Beto's having a craft brew. All right, so uh, look, I'm lucky to have two great, well-behaved, fairly clean roommates, And I want to introduce them. So first, uh, Beto O'Rourke, my classmate in the year 2012 from the West Texas town of El Paso, as the song says. Member of Armed Services and VA Veterans Committee. Welcome to Off the Cuff. Beto, tell us a little bit about why you became a member of Congress. Well, uh, thanks
1: for having me on the show. And uh, hello to all your your listeners out there in California and and across the country. so I ran for Congress because in, in 2012, I was really excited about what was going on in El Paso. And it's a place that if you've been listening to the national rhetoric uh, coming out of D.C. Uh, from the presidential campaign last year or the talking heads on TV, you could be forgiven for thinking it is this lawless wasteland where immigrants are coming over. Right. The, Donald
0: Trump says the war zone, right?
1: Absolutely. And, and uh, when he was a candidate, talked about taking his life into his own hands by by going to the border, by, by doing a border visit. What What's in part exciting to me about the border is that as we are talking about security and our relationship with Mexico and immigration, El Paso is and has been for decades one of the safest cities in America. Um, one of the most successful cities in America in terms of integrating people from all over the world.
0: You know this because you were on the city council.
1: I was on the city council. I'm a lifelong El Pasoan and, and our safety and our security and our success is premised on the fact that we are a community of immigrants, that we have this amazing connection with Mexico that you can measure in trade dollars and crossings annually. But for those who have had the chance to visit El Paso, they'll attest to this. It's just an extraordinarily beautiful, friendly, kind, amazing place. And uh, as, as maybe cheesy as that sounds, that I, I was so excited about what was going on in El Paso And so disappointed at uh, the difference between what I knew to be real and what people in D.C. were saying. Um, That was the initial impetus to run. And then along the way, learned about how um, tough it was for veterans to get into the VA in El Paso. That became an issue that I wanted to work on. And we have Fort Bliss in El Paso, 32,000 active duty service members, and really wanted to serve them on the Armed Services Committee. So those, those are some issues that brought me into the race, I was lucky enough to win with a a great team and and I've been working on those issues since.
0: Well, and for the five years we've been together around here, you've been telling the story of innovation and hope and community for El Paso, so uh, you've had a chance to follow through on why you ran. Let's go to Salud Carbajal, my newest roommate and a freshman in the 115th Congress. Uh, Salud and I have one very important thing in common. We have lots of important. It's very important. Yes. Very we are important. both graduates of UC Santa Barbara. We're yes. gauchos. Yes. And Salud gets to represent that beautiful Santa Barbara region in Congress. He's a member of the Armed Services and Budget Committees. Uh, Salud, tell us how you came to Congress.
2: Well, as you know, Jared and Beto, I've served in local government as staff and then as an elected uh, county supervisor for 12 years as chief of staff, and then 12 years as an an elected supervisor. And for all that time, it was just uh, amazing uh, working in local government to work across the aisle to try to find solutions to the many challenges that local communities face. And I think after many years of being there in my service, I was able to find ways to be effective and to come up with um, real progress and programs that I think impacted people's lives. So when uh, this seat became available in Lois... uh, Lois Capps. Lois Capps, former Congresswoman Lois Capps, telegraphed that she might not be running. Uh, I gave serious consideration, talking to my family like we Mm -hmm. all do, uh, talking to constituents. And I saw this as an opportunity to continue my public service and to broaden my impact to uh, improve the lives of the residents that I was currently representing and the additional residents that are part of the district that I would be hopefully positively impacting by serving in Congress. So for me, it was an extension of continuing that service and um, very glad I, I took that plunge and I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be here and to continue to try to make a difference. I got a question. That I'll ask you in the back. You yeah. have a
1: question. Well, why the Gauchos instead of the Vaqueros or the Cowboys?
2: Why, why Gaucho? Wow. Well, I have let's, let's I get have, to I have an answer to that, but I want to defer to my older uh, <laughs> fellow. <laughs> Wait a minute. Mr. Jared Huffman? Just a, he's at least a couple <laughs> years older than me. And he might have a better answer. I have one, but I want to yield to him as, as first uh, answer. So when I, was, when I was
0: at UCSB back in the early, mid-1980s, 80s. The, the golden era of UCSB, some call it, um, there was a raging debate about the mascot, and there was talk about a student initiative to change it from the gauchos, which is, you know, a lot of people don't know what a gaucho is. It's an Argentinian cowboy. I think it's kind of cool, myself. What's the connection to Argentina? How'd that I, I really don't know. Okay. For another episode. We have really
2: great barbecues. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and, and so there was talk about making it the Sun Bears, UCSB, UC Sun Bears. Ah. That was a little too goofy, I think, for most people. So it's just been gauchos all these years, and I don't know if there's
2: a better reason. Than... Well, I don't have anything to build on that. Uh, but I will just say that my, um, the, the biggest um, disappointment, if there's one, from being a gaucho, is that we never had a football team. There used to be a football team. I think university. that's to their great that, credit, actually. Well, I, I, you they, you know, we all want, I always wanted to have a football team. Because <laughs> so, that meant
0: we had bigger crowds at the volleyball. Oh, that's, oh, uh, that's just, oh well, that's the segue way <laughs> right.
2: into uh, us outing our colleague, Mr. Huckman, uh, for being an extraordinary volleyball player while at UCSB. National team member. National team uh, member. Inducted. Tell inducted us inducted into the vault, the UCSB <laughs> Hall of Fame, Sports Hall of Fame. I'll give you 10 minutes to stop praising me, and that's it. <laughs> but that's why he's saying that he's uh, just happy that he, you know we didn't have a football
0: team. But Let's keep moving. Uh, tonight is Monday night in Washington, so let's talk a little about our routine. Each of us had to somehow get here from different corners of the country. Beto, tell us how you came to wake up in El Paso. So... And-
1: Interesting travel day. I started the morning in El Paso and uh, Amy uh, and I made breakfast, drove to the airport, flew to Dallas-Fort Worth.
2: What time? What time are we talking about? So we're,
1: this, this was kind of a leisurely morning. I, I didn't have to get on the plane until 8.10. So get on in an Dallas 8.10 8, a.m. flight in El Paso. Okay. And typically I'll leave early and here's why. I get to Dallas and my flight is delayed out of Dallas to D.C. by an hour, getting me in... At six twenty and you guys know this, and your listeners don't, but oh, at six thirty we have votes, yeah, and so if you get me in at six twenty there's a good chance i'll miss the vote, so my team had me take a cab from Dallas Fort Worth to love airfield uh, and get on uh, instead of the American Airlines flight, I was on a virgin uh, flight, and I took virgin to uh, DC got in at 6 p.m. And, and made it to votes. And Just then,
0: but under the wire, though, that's close. We had
1: three votes, and then I did what is known as a one minute, where I gave a one minute speech on the border wall, following Salud Carbajal's excellent one minute speech on the border wall. It was it was a one two punch from which I don't know that the House can recover. I don't that's, know that that's that border, border wall. I think we did pretty darn they're well. They're they're well
0: they're
2: yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> where were you? It was it was two of the three from the household. Two of the th- two out of three ain't
0: bad, as his meatloaf once sang. So, uh, salute.
2: Tell us how you came to wake up in Santa Barbara, and you'll go to sleep tonight in Washington. Well, I woke up a little early, three uh, thirty in the morning. Woo! I was on the road by four fifteen a.m., and uh, my plane left Santa Barbara at five fifteen in the morning. Uh, did a layover in uh, Denver. And arrived in D.C. at uh, 3 o'clock. Why, why so early? Could, could you get there a little bit later? I think it's the only flight that will get me here on time. Not and the flights and, out of Santa Barbara. And the only airline that can get me here from Santa Barbara. Yeah, you uh, you at, have one of time time the tougher
0: time. commutes in the, in the Congress. It I mean, is. Hawaii, of course, is in their own and, league. But Santa Barbara is a difficult one.
2: It is. Um, you know, it hasn't really been too big of a, of a burden. I, I guess I've been able to adjust to it pretty well, but um, I'd rather fly out early in the morning than take the red eye the night before, like that I could spend that extra evening with my family. The red eyes are killer. Yes. You do it when you have to. But I tell you, my fear is exactly what Beto said. You have plane trouble, you miss a day of votes, and, you know, it just... Even if it's beyond your fault yeah. uh, when you miss votes for whatever reason. People you try you to want to be hate. here with yeah. time to spare. Exactly. All right, so
0: speaking of this, this very strange commute that we each have, um, Beto, you uh, adapted your commute a few months ago in a way that caught national attention. Uh, you got here by automobile. Traveling with your neighboring congressman, uh, who's a Republican, you had this great bipartisan road trip. Tell us about that.
1: So, Will Hurd and I, uh, he's a Republican, I'm a Democrat, we're both in San Antonio visiting VA medical centers, and Will had found out, this is March, that uh, his plane had been canceled to D.C. because of a snowstorm. And I was worried mine would as well, and so we decided to rent a car, uh... The next morning, picked up a a dollar rent-a-car Chevy Impala uh, at 5 a.m. at the rental car counter in in San Antonio, drove it um, 1,600 miles, 36 hours uh, from San Antonio to Washington, D.C., in time for... We mentioned the boats start at 6.30. We had to be at boats. They had delayed them from Tuesday, I think, to Wednesday. And so we had to be at boats Wednesday at 6.30, and we got to D.C. at 6 p.m., just in time.
0: And... You Facebook Live the whole drive, right? We live streamed. Like thousands and thousands of people followed this crazy drive. You stopped at every Waffle House in the in the Midwest.
1: So we, we had by the end of that uh, live stream, two and a half million people had had uh, joined the feed uh, along the way, which, um, as you all can attest, nothing extraordinary about me or. Will inherently, but just a Republican and a Democrat hanging out and just talking. We talked policy. We talked frivolous things. We stopped in, as you said, everywhere that Will could stop, he would stop. And if
0: I had allowed him to dictate the pace, he never would have we, we would still have been on the road. Uh, so what? He sees a road sign for yeah, like the world's largest yeah. ball of yarn, and he wants to see it.
1: We go into the Best Buy to uh, get something for the car, and he insists on talking to everyone. Who works at Best Buy? Everyone who's in line with us wants to get there. I love it. It's it's amazing. Uh, and when he runs for president, that's going to be he's a very uh, personable. A great, guy. Yeah, he, he loves people's loves people is curious about people. Um, but I was um, the type A who was like, "Sorry, we got to get in the
0: car and we got to get to we, vote. We, so we got to get to votes. We got to keep moving." So this was a day and a half together in an yeah. Impala. Yeah. Uh, at the end of this, were you? better friends, or were you about to kill each other? You know, interestingly enough, much, much better
1: friends. Uh, we, we knew each other superficially from saying hello on the floor, um, but we really got to know each other, and uh, importantly, trusted each other, and as, as you know, Republicans, especially Republicans in close districts that, that have maybe a Democratic majority like Will's, are always afraid that we're trying to, to screw them, that we're, we're going to try to position them in such a way that, that our guy's going to win. And the Republicans do the same thing to our guys. And so by the end of that trip, there was trust so that I had an immigration bill and I was able to get Will to join that immigration bill, That's for great. example, and I joined one of his bills. You so, actually
0: had some tangible yeah.
1: collaboration that yeah. came out of this.
0: It was really good. Very positive.
2: That, how do you beat that? Salute. I, I can't beat that. All I know is that uh, my staff, everybody I was running into, my wife, my family, They're like, isn't that your roommate on TV? Good morning, America forget. You were all over he was all over the place. I'm like It's crazy. I I was like, that is my roommate. Why the hell did I not know about this? Uh, But it was you got great publicity. Well Beto is the celebrity of
0: of our household
2: here. He is the celebrity. he,
0: he is we we can mention this. He is running for the United States Senate. We can't talk any further about it but um, he's the high profile guy and you and I are like in the witness protection program. Well, I'm the freshman, so I'm uh, the, the least the least known. Well, that's why you cook breakfast for us every morning.
2: So, uh, <laughs> sure, sure, we both sure, to appreciate that. Sure, I'm, only you know, I try to uh, do my best, I try to do my best. <laughs> All right, salute.
0: Um, I know your district really well, having spent some good years there. Uh, I also know as an environmentalist that when people think about the environmental laws of the United States, um, a lot of them can trace that movement back to Santa Barbara, California and to a specific event that has kind of come to symbolize why we put all these environmental protections in place. What was it and why is it important to you to, to carry on
2: the legacy of environmental protection representing a place like Santa Barbara? Well, as most many people know, uh, we had the 1969 oil spill. Uh, a ruptured uh, pipeline uh, on one of our platforms off our coast and it really uh, spewed hundreds and thousands of uh, barrels of oil into our ocean, impacted our economy, our environment. Uh, You saw birds, uh, sea life contaminated, uh, gasping for air, washing on shore and birds just covered with oil. It was most devastating in, in every aspect uh, for our community. And in 1969... And the whole world saw it, right? The whole, It was on the, the nightly news. It was, I think, the first major oil spill we ever experienced in, in the United States uh, off our coast. So that actually spurred uh, a lot of uh, regulation here in Washington to make sure that um, uh, technology that was used, uh, the industry that existed... Uh, actually performed their operations under higher standards so that we wouldn't have these types of accidents. And ever since then, Santa Barbara, I I, I think has served as a beacon for environmental protection. It is where uh, many of us believe the modern environmental movement was started, yeah. where Earth Day was officially right. started. Well, there Uh, were a
0: handful of these events around the country. The Santa Barbara oil spill, the Cuyahoga River catching mm -hmm. fire in Ohio. Ohio, The fact that we were on the verge of losing bald eagles and ospreys because of DDT and uh, all of these endangered iconic species. All of it kind of came together under a Republican president in the early 1970s. And there was this burst of environmental legislation that has stood the test of time and is still around.
2: And Santa Barbara County and and the entire 24th Congressional District, I think, has a heritage of uh, making sure that we advocate for the protection of the environment, of our open spaces, protection of our coastline, uh, making sure that um, we are careful about certain industries uh, such as oil and making sure that uh, whatever exists today is done under the safest conditions. And there's even a movement in our uh, district to s- prevent future offshore oil development off our coast, including the California coast, which is why I and you have, uh, you, Jared, yes. have uh, in- implemented. Tell us about that bill of yours. Uh, well, my bill is called the California Clean Coast Act, uh, which uh, would permanently ban uh, future offshore oil development and the sale of the leases that underpin that industry for the future. Which is a timely thing because as we sit here, um,
0: Secretary Ryan Zinke and his crew are trying to move forward with a new leasing plan for the coast of California, which they hope will include new drilling. And from my conversations with him, I think Santa Barbara is very much in their crosshairs. So um, kudos to you. All right, let's go to El Paso, Texas. Back to El Paso. And actually, let's just go to the long border, the Texas border with Mexico, Um, we are going to be voting this week on a government, partial government funding bill. When it's a full government funding bill, they call it an omnibus. This one's a minibus that only includes our Republican colleagues' favorite parts of government that get to get funded first. Uh, And of course, one of their favorite parts is trying to help Donald Trump build a border wall. And so we have this government funding bill that includes $1.6 billion for a border wall. That I thought Mexico was supposed to pay for, um, but I also know that a lot of people think it's not a good idea in the first place. Right. So, Beto, tell us what's going on.
1: So, one of the things we should all start with uh, is the fact that the the border has never been more secure in the history of the U.S.-Mexico border. So, crossings
0: and apprehensions are way down. I'll give you.
1: Yeah, I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, Last four or five years, more Mexican nationals have been leaving the United States from Mexico than have been coming from Mexico to the United States. So we don't just have zero migration from Mexico, we have less than zero migration from Mexico. Last year, total northbound apprehensions were just a little over 400,000 apprehended, uh, which is a contrast to, let's go back 17 years to the beginning of the George W. Bush administration. They had 1.6 million apprehensions, so we're down like a quarter from from peak. Uh, we have 20,000 border patrol agents, which is twice what we had uh, back at the you know uh, back in 2000 2001. We're spending 19.5 billion dollars a year on uh, these agents. The walls that we already have, we already have 600 miles did, of right. fencing and walls, including some in El Paso. We have aerostat blimps. We have drones. We have really militarized the border. And one of the consequences of that, even though the, the folks who study this will say there, there is no correlation, they can find no positive correlation between the walls and the militarization and the decrease in immigration. It's more tied to economic factors than anything else. You have seen persistence in deaths at the border. So since 2000, 7,000 people, 7,000 human beings have lost their lives trying to come to the United States for Economic opportunity, joining their families here, um, dying in, you know, some of the most horrific ways that that we can think of. So whether you look at it from a security perspective, whether you look at it morally, whether you acknowledge the fact that El Paso happens to be um, safe safe and, and by some measures the safest city in America today, uh, Someone say, in spite of, I say, because of the fact that we're connected to Mexico and so many people mm-hmm. that I represent were born in Mexico. There's no legitimate need to blow $1.6 billion. It could go to Which job creation. Which won't build the
0: whole wall, right? I mean, this no. thing is not well, going to happen with or without solar panels. And Salud said in his speech on the floor today, he
1: said, look, I, I was under the impression that the Mexicans were going to... That's what the president said. He said that the Mexican government was going to pay for this. Why are we asking those taxpayers we represent to spend this kind of money on something we don't need when there are so many other pressing needs in, in the country right now. So, All right,
0: so there, what did I miss from your big speech on
2: the floor? Well, and, about this? and the $1.6 billion is just a, a drop to s- commence this thing right. because the estimates that have been uh, put forth by many credible organizations say this is going to be a 22 to $70 billion project. Oh, okay. So, the president hasn't even come forth with even an estimate. He said Mexico was going to pay for it. And not only is this not an effective, an effective measure to deal with uh, immigration, illegal immigration, um, this only goes to create xenophobia and hate. Right? It, it's, it's, it's terrible.
0: Yeah. And it's not like we have tens of billions of dollars sitting around burning a hole in our uh, congressional budget.
2: And, and you know, let's add, let's think about everything we could pay for uh, instead of this silly wall. We could help education become more affordable. Yeah. We could address many climate change issues that our country is facing. We could help our veterans. Hey, we're doing uh, this. We, with, we, he's proposing this at the yeah. same
0: time he's talking about cutting yeah.
2: PBS and Meals right. on I Wheels. I mean, there is so much we can. NRC, I mean. Yeah, I yeah. think if you really ask the American public, do you want a silly, ineffective wall paid by taxpayers, your hard-earned money, or do you want us to use that money for Meals on Wheels, our education system, college? Here, here's uh, one. It's theory. easy.
1: So I was talking to a guy who uh, whose dad had voted for Trump, and we, we started talking about the wall. And I said, "Well, so does your dad?" Because we were in mm-hmm. Texas, and you know, I think most Texans get that we don't need. a a wall and that's not a a good use of resources. I said, well, so does your dad want a wall? He said, no, I I actually think not many people want the wall. It it is their way of acknowledging that we, present company excluded, Congress hasn't done its job for 30 years. We we do have an immigration system that almost anyone of any political stripe would agree is is not working and, and could be better. We may have differing opinions about how to improve it. Uh, we, we do have uh, this tragic story yesterday in San Antonio. Oh, Nine man. people died yeah, in, in a tractor trailer um, in, a, in a Walmart parking lot in San Antonio uh, as they were being smuggled over from Mexico. So whether whether it's the deaths, whether it's the, the number of people who come here undocumented, whether it's the, the labor demands we have, we, we could be doing a lot better. And Congress hasn't done its job, and it's forced President Obama to act... Uh, apart from Congress by executive action and it's causing Trump to, to say this thing that, that has some appeal for people who are saying, look, Congress can't figure this stuff out, so build a wall. Right? You know, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's the, the thing that we got to do. So I, I, I really do think some of this is on us, us being Congress. Uh, and and I'll, I'll, I said President company excluded because I've offered immigration legislation. You all have joined immigration legislation. We cannot even get a hearing because it's this circular argument. Folks say, we'll give you the hearing on the immigration bill as soon as we secure the border. And that's where we got to start with the Fed. You'll never never get there. It's a moving
0: target. That's right. Salud, what does this say, the fact that we're fixated on the meanness of some of the rhetoric, the divisiveness, this crazy wall idea? What does it say about how our country right now is thinking of immigrants, and what does that mean to you?
2: Well, I think it's really unfortunate. I think it just goes to create this division and this hateful tone that is not really becoming who we are as a country. As you both know, I'm an immigrant. Uh, I came to this country when I was five years old. Uh, my family and I immigrated uh, through the proper channels. That's when the immigration system worked, in the uh, in the 70s. My father was part of the Bracero program, and when it ended in the mid-60s, he, in a phased way, immigrated our entire family. It worked. Since then, the system's been broken. It hasn't had uh, the resources, the staffing, the type of processes to allow people to have a fair shake. And people who are economically hurting and want a better way for their families, a better way of life and opportunities, come to this country and continue to come. And what we need, as, as you all know, having been here a little bit longer than me, is comprehensive immigration We form. sure do. And the Senate put forth, actually, we were bipartisan, a bipartisan bill. That when Veto
0: and I got here, I think if you'd asked us in our first year, we would have said, we're going to get this done. Yeah. And it just drifted away. Uh, cable news and others sort of began fanning the flames of controversy. People started running for president uh, on these uh, divisive <laughs> themes, and we lost the political moment. And, and one
1: quick note on this, uh, one, one of the fights, the good fights that we had in the House to improve the Senate bill was against the, the, what was known as the Corker-Hoven Amendment, which uh, was $46 billion to pump up border security. Border patrol, militarization of the border. So, and and while that was a a Republican-sponsored amendment to the larger immigration bill, it was supported by Democrats as a concession to get the right. thing over the line. A concession I couldn't swallow because it it, it so deeply hurts my community and the state that I live in. In the House, our version of that through working with Phil Monvella and some other great reps who understand the border, we're able to pull that out. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it just shows you how tough that issue is that that we've gotta gotta get past this idea that the the border needs to be secured before we can do anything. Well, another
0: frustration is that if you had taken that bipartisan Senate bill that came over to the House and put it up for a vote on the floor of the House, I think it would have passed. It would have. We had the votes to get this done, and a president that would have signed it. That's right. For so the leadership didn't bring it. Forward. Well, like like so many issues, um, we were sort of hostage to internal Republican caucus politics. Uh, they couldn't make peace with themselves over what to do on this issue.
1: And why would they? One of the one story was that you know why would the Republican majority hand a Democratic president this victory? Right. Uh, and, and and so they needed to pass it with. Their own votes with their own members drawn up their own way, and and to your point, they within their
2: caucus couldn't figure out how to. And how to that's do. exactly why everybody hates Congress. Is that right. It's it silly is. games yeah. instead of trying to get things done, right. compromise to solve problems. It's it's ridiculous. Funny thing is the uh, the internal rule that
0: gets us to these situations is called the Hastert rule. Right. Uh, uh, a, a guy who hasn't really. Uh, held up so well the test of time but this, right. this rule is named after him yeah. go has to rule the, a majority of the majority right has, majority to, has of the to majority passed something it's a it's a bad way to govern especially when your majority is very very fractured right so uh, another thing that is included in this mini bus we'll be voting on this week um, actually more precisely is not included as the defense uh, appropriation bill was moving forward something really Unique happened a, a week or so ago. Barbara Lee, our colleague from Oakland, has been trying for a decade plus to reopen the authorization for use of military force that was passed right after 9/11, a very sweeping broad authorization that has enabled us to has enabled presidents of both parties to go to war in dozens of places without even asking permission from Congress. It's too broad. Yeah. Most people agree. She tries every year to repeal it and force Congress to have a debate and put in place a more narrowly tailored authorization, and every year she's been shut down. But this year, Republicans joined her and this thing passed out a committee. So it looked like, for the first time in any of our congressional tenure, we were gonna have a chance to actually vote on and debate the scope of you know the war power that we're handing to the president, the, the, the abdication or, or not of our constitutional responsibility. And yet, uh, as this bill was making its way from committee to the floor, uh, using a strange procedural vehicle, the Speaker and the Chairman of that committee just pulled that amendment right out without a vote, without a debate, and it's not in the bill we're going to be voting on. So we don't have that chance. Apparently, there is a rarely used discretion that a committee chair can use to just go in and pull things out of a bill as it goes from the committee to the Rules Committee, and that's what happened. It's completely undemocratic. Uh, And that reminds regular
2: order, right? It was a Regular order is a farce when
0: things like this are allowed to happen. So, I'm sure that she'll come back around and try to get this amendment reinserted. This week. This week, because the rules are being debated. Uh, In the past, she has sometimes been able to get some of these amendments to the floor, but you're sort of subject to the whim of these committee chairs who can decide, is it in order, is it not? Absolutely. This place is not always a functioning democracy.
1: And, and we should acknowledge how, how important Barbara Lee is. You, you said that she's been working on this tirelessly for years. In 2001, there was one person who voted against the authorization to go to war after the attacks of 9-11, and I can't imagine a more difficult vote. And I remember yeah. just as a citizen listening to the radio wondering, who is this person who would vote against our country, vote for the terrorists? She was and pillory. And, and I've since gone back and watched her speech, and, and you can see how difficult and painful that was for her and how right she was. She said, I, I, you know, this is a tough one for me, but I'm worried that we're going to write a blank check for war. And to your point, Jared, you know the, the, the most meager attempts at oversight and taking back some of the Article One constitutional responsibilities we have for how we wage war, um, we're unable to even move past the committee level. Right. Barbara Lee was, was absolutely right. Yeah, Uh, and I have to take some pride in the fact that she's from El Paso, Texas. Is that right? That's right. Well, who knows? That's another part of the El Paso Uh story. Wow. So, Barbara
0: Lee, Marty Robbins, Beto O'Rourke. Yeah. What what more do you need? (laughs) But, but. All right. right. What? Let's start with you, Salud. When you go home and have town halls and other meetings, what are your constituents most
2: concerned about right now? What are they telling you? Well, right now the big issue has been health care. It's been front and center. Uh, Secondly, climate change. Uh, Thirdly. Immigration, uh, I think a tie between comprehensive immigration reform and uh, the need to get to the bottom of this Russian intrusion Mm -hmm. into our democracy. Those are the four issues that have been out there. What part of
0: climate change most concerns them? You're you're ground zero for wildfires. You've got a coastal district, sea level rise. Mm -hmm. Is it the impacts of it or is it their desire to get on with a clean energy economy that can limit... Uh, I think all of the above.
2: Clean energy, renewable energy, um, making sure we're not falling uh, behind on addressing climate change. Uh, My district was extremely distressed, my constituents, about this president's uh, lack of understanding of the importance of the Paris Paris Agreement and pulling out of that. And what that means, not only for American leadership, but for the actual issue itself. Uh, it was really demoralizing. It was really sad.
0: I just watched last night a movie that I'm going to plug shamelessly in the podcast right now. Uh, it's a documentary called Chasing Coral. I saw that. Have you seen it's it? It's good. Kilmer uh, was having a... a yeah. It's, a- it's just amazing. These folks have documented the bleaching and the decline of coral reefs. And they figured out that just the small change in average temperature is causing... And the, the greater frequency of these temperature spikes in ocean... Oceans around the world is causing the, the death of entire coral. Yep. The Great Barrier Reef is on a path to die completely. We're going to lose almost all coral reefs within 30 years, which is in perhaps in our lifetime, certainly within our kids. That is here and now.
1: I, I don't even see how we're going to make it another 30 years when they tell you two years ago we lost 20% of the world's coral reefs and last year we lost another 20%. I, I guess that that is it's slowing down now because... Uh, I guess the waters aren't warming as quickly. Or I don't know what the reasons are. There's but, a lot going on. But when you when you hear the numbers and then when you see the images of this, th- this these coral are so vibrant and yeah. they're all shapes and sizes and colors and there's just life all around them. And then they time progress it because they've had these cameras on the ocean floor watching the coral in its bleaching process. And and it is it's just the life is old it's it's and ugly gray. It's got yeah. wisps of dead matter the schools of fish are not there fish are gone it's, re- it's, it's a tough movie to watch but it adds to the urgency of what we're doing here. we got our
0: work cut out for us I mean, we really it, do it is uh, it's an important time to be in the arena for all of these things that's right uh, what are your constituents Beto telling you they want you to do in this arena
1: I just had a town hall on Friday and uh, we have one every single month and yeah, all everyone's welcome it's in a public place no holds barred you can ask any question consistently um veterans issues uh are are at the top of the list and it it could be we have such a a a large veterans community in el paso proud military service history in our community are
0: these mostly recent veterans or it's
1: it it really uh runs from world war ii veterans uh to uh iraq and afghanistan Mm -hmm. uh veterans um you know, sometimes sharing positive stories. Here, here's something that happened at the VA last week. Yeah. I know you're interested in this, bet, though, and I wanted to share with you a great experience that I had or my family member had. Sometimes, more often than not, here's a challenge that I've had in right. getting a service-connected disability claim response or an appeal. But veterans' addressed. issues stand out as the veterans most frequent issues. concern. Health care okay. uh, has consistently been coming up, especially in the last, you know, 8 to 10 months. Um, jobs and education... The two being connected very often, uh, young uh, gentleman uh, Carlos, who was at El Paso Community College, uh, came up and asked about you know uh, student loan debt, uh, and then how he transitions from community college into a uh, high value, high paying job uh, in the community. So so economic opportunity jobs, right? Um, those those
0: would be the top three
1: in, in El Paso.
0: That's great. Yeah. Uh, on on the veteran stuff. I want to just compare notes a little bit. The veterans yeah. I talk to in my district um, encounter a lot of frustrations with the bureaucracy of the VA, but almost without exception, they rave about the care they get Absolutely, the VA. Has that been your experience, too? Peter? Yes,
1: if if you can get in the white um, lines. Yes,
0: and Salute, I should mention, is a veteran, so you, you've got some authority on and that. have access to vet, the VA system. Right. That? But that's in in both of your districts. You would say that's that's consistent. I would say
1: so. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, the the challenge has been getting in, um, and then uh, a related challenge is yes, the care is good when you get in. It's not always consistent, and you don't have great continuity of care because you you have such turnover right in the providers. The rural
0: parts of my district, they cannot recruit and retain that's right. providers. That's right. And and so we're we're I'm on the
1: Veterans Affairs Committee. We're doing. Good work, Republicans and Democrats together, on um, increasing flexibility in how you hire, um, increasing flexibility for those uh, directors of VA medical centers for pay and retention bonuses. Right. It, it, and, and starting the down The system's to kind of
0: inverted, though. I mean, it, it does reward people for going to the urban areas, and we, we have right. to figure out some incentives that allow more rural communities to, to draw Absolutely. quality yeah. physicians. Right, yeah, and it's it's slowly
1: getting better. Now, I can just use El Paso as an example we The country has a crisis in veterans' mental health care access and connected to that veteran suicide, where the estimate is 20 veterans a day take their lives in this country every single day. Sixteen of those 20 have not been to a VA either they couldn't get in or they didn't avail themselves of the help there. In El Paso, we've gone from sixty eight. Full-time mental health care providers to over 100 uh, full-time mental health care providers in the last four years, and that's because we focused on that and made that a, a priority. Uh, but with you know absent doing that, you know people suffer and, and people take their their lives, and that's those many of those are preventable deaths. And making that a priority saves lives. And so I, the committee gets that Congress. Is starting to get that. And I will say this for President Trump, and maybe this is the one good thing we can, we can agree on about the, the president. Uh, maybe there are others, but he chose in David Shulkin the best person I think possible to be the VA secretary. And, and Dr. Shulkin is just doing a terrific job. So I feel very grateful to the president for selecting him and making uh, VA and veterans a priority.
2: Well, it's great to see he's made one good decision
1: at least, right? Yes. Thank, um, you. Thank you for bringing that yeah, up. But I don't know that he gets a lot of positive time on your show. <laughs>
0: well, he doesn't. <laughs> and, and I, you know, he's probably listening right now. Uh, yeah, well, he's, he's yeah, not he has nothing better to do. Him, it seems. seems. So if, you, if, if you, both of you guys could tell President Trump one thing, since he's definitely tuning into our podcast, what would you tell him?
2: I would tell him, uh, stop acting like a kid, start acting like a president, And work with both Republicans and Democrats to get things done for the American people. Um, Stop tweeting silly things. Maybe just stop tweeting. Yeah. it's not bad. What about you, Beto?
1: I'd invite the president to El Paso, and I would show him that instead of walls and militarization and this obsession on um, Mexico as an enemy and a threat... Uh, you can see a community where we've been very successful and we are very safe because we treat each other with dignity and respect. Uh, we recognize that Mexico is our neighbor. And These our are values
0: mother. our president does not always seem to prioritize. We can get him down to El Paso and,
1: and, and have him that Take him yeah. to Rosa's Cantina. It's still there. It's on Donovan and would love to, to buy him some tacos and a beer and just talk over border issues and see if we can come to uh, some common ground. Or from
2: food. a taco truck. <laughs> well, he's going to want a
0: well-done steak with some ketchup on it. I think. Right. But, uh, well, maybe, so What would your message be oh, for the president? Similar to salutes, I, I am just so distressed at the way he behaves as our president. I think he cheapens the presidency. I think he diminishes our country. Uh, today, I, I unfortunately turned on the TV and I saw him speaking to the Boy Scouts of America. Mm. So he was speaking to this gathering of really impressive, dedicated young scouts who are learning the values of you know all of these wonderful you know honor and discipline and good things. And he's going off script and ripping into President Obama, ripping into Hillary, bragging about his Electoral yeah. College victory. Um, It was so unprofessional and so juvenile. And I'm just unfortunately worried that young people around this country are taking the wrong lessons away from our president.
1: They absolutely are. We we are hearing from kids, young third graders uh, in El Paso, as an example, Mexican-American who feel like their president doesn't like them or talking to Muslim-American kids in communities who tell me that other kids in their classes now think it's okay mm-hmm. to mock them or talk about them being yeah. terrorists or you know make them feel little, small, and un-American.
0: But you would think just for the occasion of speaking to the Boy Scouts of America, right? You could find some remarks that actually reflect those values. You could stick to your script. You could model good things right. for these young people. Right? And he couldn't do it. Yeah, he just couldn't. He can't help himself. Uh well. We're going to get through this uh, one way or another. Let me ask one more question here because this has been a great conversation. Uh, A lot of people uh, listening are going to be reading about how congressional Democrats in the House and Senate are rolling out, kind of road testing a new messaging framework. And it kind of roughly uh, is along the lines of a better way, better jobs, better skills, better economy. Uh, Do you think that Democrats are on the right track with this? What would you do? with this message if you, uh, if you controlled it, and we don't. Uh, some people think that we do, but we have a very small fractional share of these uh, decisions. You know, I, I'll tell you, I, um,
1: I've been spending a lot of time in Texas, uh, obviously, and you all have been spending a lot of time in your home districts. It, it just confirms for me that the, the best thing that any one of us can do individually is to listen to our constituents or the people that we want to represent, and really hear what's on their mind and what they expect from us, and then reflect that back in the job that we do or the things that we campaign on. And in Texas, it's jobs. It's it's especially jobs for those uh, who uh, have worked in the past can't find work today with meaning the or purpose or function. Yeah. yeah, or a living wage. So that feels pretty
0: well on track. And they want to messaging. be
1: connected with the with the training. Uh, The education, the certification, maybe the apprenticeship that gets them into that higher paying job that has functioned. I'm hearing from a lot of young people who are justifiably concerned about the load of student debt that they're taking on. They can't pay back. Watching their friends default on this uh, debt that is the one debt I think in this country you cannot wipe yeah uh from your your credit record that in, you unless
0: uh, your loan was securitized and sold to someone who can't document it as we that's right heard last week uh, billions of dollars in student loans can't uh can be documented now by the creditor but uh, not everyone's that lucky
1: that's right but but only but only going through these these different parts of your district or the places that you want to represent in Galveston the issue is storm surge protection in the panhandle of Texas they're really proud of the fact that we generate so much wind energy we're the, we're the nation's yeah. leader in wind energy generation i can't get those messages from our party leadership so I, I to be honest with you i kind of tune that stuff out and i wish them the best I hope that they're successful. I know they've got a lot of great pollsters and consultants. Uh, I, I rely on on the people that I meet and have the chance to listen to and want to represent. And that drives the conversation for me. So I wish them the best of luck. We but just you're
0: going to have your own message. Yeah. And you're going to have theirs. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. So, Luke, what you Well, I, I
2: think a lot like you, the bellwether for me is my constituents. I think that's the best bellwether to understand what the issues are of the day and, and the tone of of the concern that exists in my district. I do think though that uh, this new approach they're taking, focusing on economic opportunity, is a good one. I, I think that as Democrats, we're we've always been the big ten. Yeah, that's the a big ten. Value. Our our platform is so big because it includes so much. But I think that the common denominator that we saw was somewhat absent in recent elections was the economic opportunity. And I think a lot of people still feel left out since the last recession. Yeah, absolutely. I think people still see that wages are sagging. Uh, there's income inequality, and I think uh, they're they're comparing themselves to what they have now, to what happened in the recession and what they had before, and they see themselves not not having uh, the type of economic prosperity that they want to have. And I think I, I do think that. Um, Democrats, this new better deal uh, thing that they put together slogan. I think it does start a touch on that issue because before we can talk about renewable energy, um, a better education, uh, all those things that enrich our lives and make us a prosper, you got to have good jobs. You got to have economic opportunities to be a first-time home buyer, to uh, be able to provide for your family. And if you can't have access to jobs and decent economic opportunity; everything else is secondary. I'm
0: just going to add this to the hmm. the focus group here on the, <laughs> the democratic messaging. Uh, I, I think they're in they're getting warm with this because I think that economic opportunity and prosperity and future has got to be a big part of it. But uh, the polling that we've seen suggests that the number one thing this anxious American public. Uh, Focuses on when they're blaming their dislocation and their desperation is Congress. Yeah. Above President Trump, above uh, China, Mexico, immigration, all these other things. Right. I think we've got to find a way to convey that we also want to change Congress and make it work better. Absolutely. And I think that's not quite there yet. Uh, And then the other thing is maybe if there's a way to be a little more aspirational than just better. better. Better is incremental kind of a low bar Kennedy movement. is I'm going to get you to the moon by the yeah. end of the decade yeah uh, you can't just yeah. this is not a moonshot yeah th- this is eh, let's do yeah. a little better a little better <laughs> we, we can do a lot better yeah. Yeah. so that's, that's my only criticism and, and I,
2: I don't envy the people trying to come up with a slogan because you'll never please everybody no that's it's a tough yeah. job well Jared as, as a freshman member I um, you know you, were, you both were in local elected office before mm-hmm. uh you came to Congress, and uh, being in service in local government allows you an opportunity to see what can get done in a bipartisan way. That's right. Because partisanship isn't... You don't care about part Yeah, partisanship the isn't the everyday thing you deal with. And I think we've all come to uh, Congress with that background. And as a freshman, I've joined uh, this group called the Problem Solvers Caucus, which uh, is Democrats and Republicans trying to find common ground to kind of break this gridlock, and you know, um, uh, it, we'll see. Uh, the jury's out, but I'm hopeful that it yields some fruit and that it leads to something. Thank God so. you're
0: hopeful. You've only been here six months. We don't, want, <laughs> yeah. we don't want that
2: hope to escape you. That's right. It's staying with me, darn it. All right. That's good. I want
0: to ask you um, each. This is a really difficult question. Are we going to answer some of
1: your constituent mail? Like, do you want Salud and I will take yeah, that yeah. one <laughs> right.
0: for you? You take a break and we'll, we'll answer. I would like that. Yeah. I'd like <laughs> you guys to answer the phones. Uh, so we, we live in this place together. Three guys, one shower. How, and I shower at the gym, so I'm not even part of the congestion. You How get into this? have you, you two navigated the shower access issue? It's improved greatly. And don't great. get Salert in trouble because if his constituents hear that he takes more than a four-minute shower, he's in real trouble. Yeah, what, and oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. He's
1: no. quick. He's right. I he's, mean, do you, do you want to have a real conversation or do you want to make Salert <laughs> look good? <Because laughs> oh, oh,
2: all I, want, all I know is that I, uh, I, I, we got a new shower hit which improved greatly the ability to take a quicker shower. It, All right, right? That is true. Yeah, is that, 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 is, true? I, is that I've, true? I've seen shower times. was uh, uh, a hard one to uh, I would time. say I, I take the longer showers in of uh, me and Beto, and He's the one always uh, knocking on the door saying, "Get out! I gotta go."
0: But you guys have not had major conflict.
1: Well, so it's you know, as with any relationship, you know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know quite know. The, the, the way in which I could you know uh, tell Salud that I you know needed to get into the bathroom. It does come at the but, then, but then you know because I wanted to make sure that I was giving you some space to you know to to find your your place. Here I in just hear the I'm door like, it's either, but, now, but now he's like, like clearing okay, his now, throat outside, outside yeah. the door, <laughs> kind of squeaking on the on the boards outside. Now no I knock on the door and say, "Hey Salud, I gotta." But you know what? That hasn't had we haven't had that issue since we've had the new shower
0: head. That's right. That's Give right.
2: The yep. new, new shower hand. All
0: right, now, so that's the awkward issue for Salud. Yeah. Now here, I, I want to give you a chance because you know my district, Beto, the second congressional the great north coast of California. In fact, you know Arcata, California. I know Arcata.
1: <laughs> Al Sobrante hosted me there, and the, the members of FOSS when we were touring, and I would say... Hold on, you've got to tell everybody
0: what FOSS is.
1: FOSS uh, was one of the uh, most amazing punk rock bands ...to come out of El Paso, Texas in the year <laughs> 1993. <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, yeah, some really good friends. We, of all the great punk bands to come out of El Paso? And, and there were some good ones. You had the Rhythm Pigs who preceded us at the drive-in... ...who followed us. Uh, Two to Edge, uh, which was touring at the same time we were... We uh, were touring the country. We had put out a little record and uh, book shows... ...and we booked a show in Arcata, California... And there was a guy w- watching us play who, afterwards, and this happened wherever you played, somebody would say, You, you want to sleep on my couch? Or, um, you know, you, you basically got paid enough to, to put gas in your car to get to the next destination. You, would, you were often sleeping on the side of the road. <laughs> if you could put the money together, you got a cheap <laughs> motel, but that almost never happened. And this guy, Al Cibrante, says, Hey, I'm, I'm, uh, I live here, liked you're all set. Uh, you guys are welcome to stay with me turns out he was the drummer for green day uh he was he was the the one of the first drummers for green day uh and then was playing in another band by the time we met him uh who's uh the neer wells maybe anyhow so we wow. this guy was like pump rock, probably uh, two people royalty. listening to this podcast that know any of this yeah, uh... Uh, yeah pe- people in northern california know al sobrante who was Arcade, <laughs> uh, and uh that was just a magical moment and we wrote a song about him Uh, called Al Sobrante and uh, you know just for for the for the Foss aficionados listening to your show that's the origin of that so there you go folks from
0: uh, traveling uh, hand to mouth punk rock existence to a member of the United States Congress Uh, we do have to
2: tell Beto to turn down his punk rock music
0: on occasion but (laughs) well that's the funny thing I don't think you listen to that stuff anymore I know there's a great
1: jazz station um, at the left of the dial that I listen to at night that's it's great. Um, it's not WAMU. It's uh, a little bit further up on the dial. Anyhow, that's that's my jam. That's right. it. Yeah. Well,
0: listen. Um, the last thing I want to say about this this great team we have, this roommate team, is that I could not have two more compatible guys. Thank God, because your families are delightful. Uh, they we invite each of our respective spouses and families to visit, and they break out the air mattresses, whatever is necessary, and it's just warm and open, and we all get along, and that's a pretty great thing. Thanks for having us on the show. This is cool.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, so, any final it. thoughts from uh, either thank of you? Thank you. Uh, I just want to say for the record that uh, the 24th Congressional District has some pretty good wine as well, mm-hmm. and we bring it out on occasion.
0: Yeah, Santa Barbara... And thereabouts is pretty good stuff. All right, Beto, uh, parting thoughts for the, the people of the second district? No, this is cool. And I,
1: I, uh, I think that's um, so nice that you do this with, with and for your constituents. And I texted my uh, team while we were doing this saying, we gotta, we got to do this uh, for our district, too. This is a great idea. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be listening to the show, especially since Salud and I uh, are on it. That's right. All right. Yeah.
0: Well, here's one last thing we might edit in. Um, so Alexa Schaefer, my communications director, is sitting here dutifully making sure the microphone and everything works. She's been doing these podcasts for me now for several months, but she hasn't asked any questions of anyone. So, oh, yeah. Alexa, what do you want Hit to ask Alexa. the roommates?
2: Oh. What is the most embarrassing thing that you've seen Jared do? Oh, for God's sake.
1: <laughs> well, wow, do time is time? How long is this podcast? <laughs> um, you know what? I, he's he's a cool customer, as you probably have gathered. I, I have yet to see that guy trip up. Some interesting things about Jared: people may or may not know, and you may or may not keep this in the podcast. But uh, a ferocious guitar player. He he will he will dismiss it and uh, be incredibly self-effacing, but uh, can can really knock out the tunes. Beautiful voice. Um, I've I've enjoyed on
0: occasion. Um, playing guitar with uh, Jared I'm a good influence because I'm teaching you some James Taylor and other civilized totally. music. I just <laughs> know three chord <laughs> punk
1: rock uh, music <laughs> and no so so that's great um, Susan is um, amazing uh, Jared's wife who who if we're honest with ourselves is is responsible for the shower head that yeah. has <laughs> changed she it, does, uh, has changed, changed this place I
2: mean, we, we did bring it to her attention and unlike Jared. She just share it, yeah, just just <laughs> of her own, own volition. Um, and
1: uh, no, and, and I would say some of our best nights have been when the families are all up here, which which rarely rarely happens. It, you know, we're we each of us fly up on the first day of votes, fly out as soon as votes are over mm-hmm. at the yeah. end of the week, and really don't get a, a lot of time to hang out together. Um, and so when families are up here and we get to cook a meal, it's really nice. I've I've enjoyed meet uh Jared's family. It's really good times.
0: Well, a little bit of everything in this podcast, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. uh, Thank you for uh, signing off for now. Off the Cuff is produced by Marin's own Tales Untold Media. Our music is also local, provided by Temp Love. Don't miss out on future episodes of Off the Cuff, You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Just search for Off the Cup with Jared Huffman.